welcome to the Honest Property Investment Podcast. My name's Natasha Collins and I'm the host and I'm also the CEO of NC Real Estate, which is my firm of surveyors. We specialize in asset management and property investment strategy for landlords and investors who want to build mixed use and commercial property portfolios. You want to find out more about that? Head on over to ncrealestate.co.uk. I'm so excited to be back with you today for episode two. I got so many comments last week, messages, people phoning me saying, Natasha, I loved episode one. Your feedback means the world to me. So we're going to continue on this week. As per last week, I've got exciting guests coming your way. Of course, Dare in a Life of a Surveyor, hashtag Ditloss. And then I'm going to be interviewing Danielle Bell about the biggest mistakes made in property investment and what we think is going to happen coming into or coming out of COVID-19, I should say. First, this week is Mental Health Awareness Week. And as you will know, I am an ambassador for Lionheart, which helps surveyors with their mental health, among a lot of other things that they do. And so today I wanted to talk about something which I didn't realise impacted me as much as it does. And that's perfectionism. I'm one of these people who, for some aspects of my life, I'm quite content to just be okay at it. When I was doing my degrees, I was never going for a first or a distinction at master's level. I just wanted to pass with a merit and a 2-1. That was going to be satisfactory for me. Prior to that, when I was doing my uh, my studying at high school, secondary school, whatever you want to call it. Again, I was not that interested in doing exams. I was not that interested in doing assignments. My whole thing has been about being in practice and getting things right. And then as a surveyor, when I first graduated and I first got taken on into the role, and all of a sudden I was this new person who was having to deal with adults. I mean, I was in my 20s, but I was like, oh my gosh, everybody else has been in this industry so much longer than I have. And I was experimenting with what was going on. There would be times where I would get things wrong and I was incredibly hard on myself for it. If I cannot live up to my own standards set for me, then I really, really, am disappointed in myself and I take it unbearably hard. It's a characteristic that I don't seem to be able to work through but I have to acknowledge that it's something that I have to deal with. And that is where a lot of my anxieties come from. I don't tend to compete with other people, I compete with myself and whatever standards, morals, ethics I've set down for myself, there is absolutely no way no way that I could ever budge on that. So a huge part of my therapy and my coaching is all about my mindset about how hard I'm being on myself. If I haven't lived up to an income goal by a certain date, I'm a mess. If I haven't responded to an email within a certain 
sort of time, I can't stop thinking about it. If maybe I've said something slightly wrong that I would probably just be able to send another email and say, oops, I thought about that and here's how I, here's how I would actually do it differently. I think you look stupid. And I'm very hard on myself about it and I always have been. My biggest critic is myself. And even though I ask for feedback and I take feedback, if I think that I have done something wrong and not performed at my highest to the highest standard, I'm a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. My brain moves into brain fog. I am not very good at communicating. I become distracted. I become disorganized. I become all over the place. I stop sleeping quite as well as I want to. And that is difficult. And that comes from mental health challenges. That's something that has really formed part of my mental health challenge. The fact that I have to live up to my own standards and I set myself above what I would expect for anybody else. That's why when I had, I suppose it's an eating disorder, but I would never have called it that at the time and looking back on it, it was just my obsessive thoughts told me to train so hard, eat the right way, until I was just this small, thin sliver of myself because I never wanted to go back to the doctors and be told that maybe I was slightly overweight. I mean, they shouldn't have told me it anyway at 21, but those magic words, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to become obese. I heard that and I was like, I have to be perfect elsewhere. The same as when I was a young surveyor and I got something wrong and I got shouted at. I I never want to be shouted at again. I have to do that perfect. And then I worry if I didn't do something perfectly. So that then, just expanded and grew, and that is something that I have to work on today. Now that is something also in this industry that we have to be very aware of, and I notice it in my clients, looking at what other people are doing and thinking, ooh, I would actually like that. Why haven't I done it in that much time? I've been in the industry as long as they have. I have more money than they do, and I didn't find those deals. Can you relate? Yeah. That's really, really, really something that we're having to contend with. And I think social media, because it shows highlights reels, you know, even if someone says, oh, I did this wrong, but I got over it this way. Okay, it's inspiring. But I'm pretty sure in the moment, they're not posting anything that says I am down in the dumps. The same as I don't post when I'm feeling overwhelmed by the pressure I've put myself, mainly because I can't concentrate, I can't focus, I can't act as a regular human being in that situation. I have to pull myself away and I have to deal with myself. And this is where I want to say to you, you have to deal with yourself as well. There's always going to be someone who maybe does something slightly better than you, maybe does something in a quicker time frame, maybe has more money, less money, whatever, but their circumstance is completely different and you don't know the backstory on that. So I want you to think as a result of this, how can you turn the dial down on being a perfectionist in comparison to someone else that you've seen and actually look at your own standards and think, what's actually reasonable for me? What shows that I'm making progress? What progress have I actually made over X? Y, Z of time? What can I do 
going forward, that's going to move myself in the direction that I want to go in. If we start thinking like that, it not only does it take the pressure off because, well, unless you're unlike me where you really are competing with yourself the whole time, but if you stop looking at other people, then you only have yourself to compare yourself to. And if you set your own standards, you set your own goals, you've got something to work towards. Now, if you are like me, please go and make sure that you're getting the help and support you need to dial that down to a regular person's looking at competing with themselves because I know how hard it is to have those huge expectations. It's a weight and it can make me feel incredibly unwell. But if you can look at it and think, okay, someone, whatever, whatever happens with somebody else, you know, that's them. Let them do them and I'm going to do me I get to write my story for myself. So I encourage you, this week, or going forward, start looking at yourself and thinking, how am I trying to be perfect? And what am I comparing that to? Doesn't matter if you can't change those thoughts. I'm owning up to it. I'm not very good at changing my thoughts, which is why I have to seek outside help. But Think, is what I'm thinking right now really true, really reflective of what I'm doing? Or should I go and seek help or look at my thoughts in a different way and think, all right, if I really want to get to this goal, what do I personally need to do without looking at anybody else to get myself there? And then go and do that. Hopefully that's given you something to think about this week. Now, I'm going to take a quick break to again introduce you to Lionheart and after the break I'll be back with a day in the life of a surveyor. Lionheart is the RICS's own benevolent fund, a charity that supports members of the RICS and their partners. They were established in 1899 so they have over 120 years of experience of supporting the surveying profession. Lionheart is separate from the RICS and a totally independent organisation and registered charity. They help RICS professionals, the life partner of chartered surveyors as well as APC candidates and have also recently expanded their support to surveying apprentices and students. Now, you're probably wondering, how can they help? Well, they provide training in the form of free workshops and webinars and they operate a helpline through which you can access different types of support. They have over 30 workshops and webinars and a range from financial well-being, career and personal development, APC and post-APC webinars. The helpline service is bespoke to each person who calls as they try to offer a sort of package or service that suits your needs. Some of the services and support that we offer are professional counselling, coaching for a particular issue or challenge, legal advice, help returning to work or developing career after a period of not working, financial grants and general support. All of their services are free and to find out more please visit their website www.lionheart.org.uk. This week's Day in a Life of a Surveyor is James Greenway, who is the Director of Estates, Facilities and Business Services at Highways England. When he sent me the message, he then 
caveated it with, or not even caveated it, but he said, surveying is br brilliant and the skills we are instinctively trained in around influencing, negotiating, legals and finance mean we should be punching way higher as a profession. And I replied, I completely agree. He then said, most professions either do objective or subjective, whereas surveyors can do both, which is why surveying is such an interesting profession. To be honest, I li listened to this day in the life of a surveyor and I was like, uh, Highways England sounds like an amazing place to work. So without further ado, let me hand over to James. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Hi everybody, my name is James Greenway and I'm Director of Estates, Facilities and Business Services at Highways England. Our property portfolio spans a number of different areas. First of all, on the corporate side, we have a large range of corporate offices in city centres and on our road network. We also have depots, traffic officer outstations and our regional control centres and national traffic operations centres, which are 24-7-365 environments monitoring the safety and sign setting on our network. So for me, a typical day is anything but typical. Uh, it's a very varied mixed bag of things that I might do. Uh, usually I start in the morning looking at our high level correspondence. So making sure that replies to MPs, members of the public, uh, local government are all concise, well written and given a very sharp customer focus uh, to make sure that people get the right answers first time. Now, this again is very varied because we own more than 90,000 individual property titles, uh, which we required to do as part of our road building uh, schemes around the country. The next thing I will probably get involved in is our GIS system, so our geographical information systems. Uh, we've got a big set of process changes on, ongoing there. So we work with our data office and colleagues in IT to really refine our processes and make sure they are fit for purpose. And especially fit for purpose in an environment where we're looking at more autonomous vehicles potentially using our network. So we need a whole new range of processes and procedures to deliver the right sort of information to suppliers across the country. Indeed, our data assets probably span about three billion pounds worth. Uh, we have various um, portfolios that we look after, one of which is our non-operational portfolio. So that's about a thousand different assets uh, spanning everything from 300 or so residential units through to 550 farms or pieces of farms. Uh, and indeed, sort of petrol filling stations, hotels and things that we've needed to buy to enable road, road building to occur. Uh, those are managed by our supply chain. So we, I usually have a meeting to look at different ways of working, making sure that we're getting value for money for the taxpayer, but also making sure that we don't carry assets that we don't need to or spend money where we're actually getting less income from the asset. Uh, but we take a very risk managed approach to this. A large part of my time, as you might imagine, following COVID is spent on workplace transformation. Uh, I always feel like immensely privileged to work in estates because our transformation is one that people cannot work around. Uh, you know, a physical closing, reopening of a building, people have to adapt to that change and that transformation. Uh, so you have to take people with you. It's not like a process that maybe you can skirt around the back door and try and keep doing it the way you've always done it. So transformation in estates is real, lasting and very focused. We are very much looking at redefining our entire portfolio, um, probably incorporating a more hybrid mix of working for people, uh, letting people work from home a little bit more than we have in the past, 
but also that means that we need to provide other spaces. We can't just take away the fixed desks without incorporating other areas that people really need to be productive, such as uh, quiet areas to have focus time, soft seating areas, formal meeting rooms for large bunches of people, as well as those third spaces, really, that you can have that quick catch up with a supply chain member or a colleague over a cup of coffee in a canteen. So lots of re-engineering of our workplaces is coming. I think it's obvious that there will be a significant reduction, particularly in the amount of city centre floor space. But for us, we're also enlarging our uh, portfolio on the network. So making sure that people don't have to drive by three or four of our depots to get to a city centre. If all they want to do is print something off or meet somebody, you should be able to do that at any one of our premises. So redesigning our in-state, making sure our capital programme runs to time and budget is a big part of my role also. And the third part is performance management. So I usually spend part of my day looking at performance management, very much with a continuous improvement mindset. Uh, There is no blame attached. It's all about how do we make our processes better? How do we remove barriers for people? And how can we throw weight behind any particular change to make sure that we embed change right across the organisation and not just look at it from a siloed approach? So as you can see there, my lot is an extremely varied one. Uh, Everything from GIS through to traditional estates, facilities management and COVID and everything in between. Um, Somebody once said to me, uh, if you want money, be an accountant. If you want kudos, be a lawyer. But if you want a day that's different every single time you walk into work, uh, become a surveyor. And I think that's definitely true. I really enjoy being a surveyor now for more than 20 years. Uh, I'm definitely not bored of it yet. So I'd recommend it as a career to anybody. So that's it from me. Hope you've enjoyed that day in the life. Thank you very much. Bye. Okay, so I hope you just enjoyed a day in the life of a surveyor. I want to hear from you. Make sure that you're reviewing that. I want to see your comments about whether that would be a job that you'd be interested in. All right, to now we're going to move on to some juicy stuff. I have got my good friend Danielle Bell here with me again. Hi, Danielle. Ireland's in the house. <laughs> I, I don't know. Sometimes I think that my energy is is, is off the chain, but yours today is uh, very upbeat it has to be said very upbeat yeah of course it's cool all right that's good maybe it's friday it's that friday feeling but it's good uh, i think you and i have struggled to to nail down a, t- a date and a time that worked to catch up so i'm delighted to be like i think this is my second or third time um us talking via podcast and i'm loving it yeah i think no second you came second yes yeah, i know second, but then i came on yours that's right that's right you came on mine it was good yeah so we've got something going great to be here (laughs) it's good to have you so for those of you who haven't met Danielle before why would what I'm going to do is in the show notes below I'm just going to put our first podcast together yes so go and listen to that afterwards and you'll get to know Danielle Danielle in a nutshell in like a 60 second pitch of yourself what do you do for people who don't know you Oh, okay. 60 second pitch. No pressure. Okay. So by day, I am a full-time property investor and have been for the last three and a half years. Um, but my passion is helping property sourcers and deal packagers who are in the first not to 12 months of their journey, get off the ground and start to grow and scale a property sourcing business by helping them raise finance and find deals. So I, I mix in both my passions. I started, Natasha, as you know, as a property mm-hmm. sourcer. 
data packager. Um, came came at the game with no experience, no cash, no knowledge, no contacts. Ex financial analyst for the New York Stock Exchange. Desperately wanted to get into property. Did so, and in the last twelve to fourteen months, have found a passion in helping others do and achieve what I have done in in, in a in a relatively short space of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Sixty seconds. Yeah, there we have it. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like sweating buckets here. I'm like, Jesus, was that more than sixty seconds? <laughs> no, it's fine. We're not going to edit you out. I'm <laughs> joking. I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> So today, today, Danielle and I are going to be talking about something that you guys wrote in and asked me about, how to avoid disasters in commercial property and residential property investment. And then we'll go into having a look at what you should be investing in or what you should be looking at. Bearing in mind, when we're looking at post-COVID, neither one of us are in possession of a crystal ball unless Danielle has had something delivered to her and will then be giving us the address of where you get that magic from. (laughs) I wish, I wish. Exactly. So today we're going to be talking about disasters, what you can do to resolve them, if there is any way out of the disaster, and then what we're going to be looking at post-COVID. So Danielle, first question to you. Top five property investment disasters. Okay, so... Before you and I hopped online with us, I kind of said to you, and funny, I was thinking about this today. I was like, I'm slightly blessed that I haven't had five real ground-shaking investment challenges. I really haven't. I have had challenges along the way, and I'm, I'm going to go through some of them with you. Um, for, for the listeners, I, I blame Natasha, who asked me to come on the podcast, talk about challenges and today, just before I came online with the <laughs> with for the podcast, I got served my first legal notice ever relating to property investment. So hey ho, you know I had three before we jumped on. Now I've got four. Screw you, Natasha. So okay, let's jump into my first one. Um, for your listeners, this might be yeah. You're laughing. It's not fucking funny. I've got <laughs> I've got a letter that I now need to give attention to. But so we've touched Natasha on the fact that uh, my start in this world was via property sourcing. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I've got the first challenge, which will tie lovely into this. So listeners, stick with me as a sourcer. It is my job to find an investor suitable and worthy um, investment properties that will increase their wealth via the asset class of property. Now. When I first started out on my property sourcing journey, I was working my ass off to build relationships with estate agents, to build relationships networking, which by the way, I am a massive, massive advocate of the fact that company, the company we keep is the currency that nobody speaks about. And, you know, company and my network is definitely my value of currency. So I was putting a lot of time and effort into building up relations with estate agents in the hope that they would warm to my beautiful Irish lovely charismatic personality right I was putting so much effort into that in the hope that um there would be a mutual beneficial relationship at some point now maybe eight weeks into my journey which is a really fast turnaround for a sorcerer to do this but eight weeks into my journey I was offered by an estate agent that I had wooed I wooed him dearfully right he was a much older man but I wooed him and eight weeks in, right? 
uh, he offers me a portfolio of five, five properties. It's not going to market, Danielle. You're the only person I've given this to. I like what you're doing. I like that you're gutsy. I want to give you a shot. I can see that you're hungry, which I definitely was, and I still am. I was really hungry to get out there. I'm going to give you a shot. I'm going to take you on your face value. Now, this is where the challenge creeps in. I had told him I had an investor ready to go. I had told him that the five properties that he had given me off market were the exact criteria of this investor that I had waiting to go. The truth of it was, Natasha, and I'm embarrassed now when I say this, but I didn't have an, an investor. I didn't. Um, now, anybody listening to this who's maybe followed me, because I know lots of the guys inside my club will definitely be listening to this. Natasha, you're familiar with them. Mm-hmm. The guys will know that um, I am a massive advocate of find your investor first. Now, I don't know if you and I agree on this. Like, we may not. But I do believe you put your investor first. Don't put the cart before the horse. I am not a fan of, you know, build it and they will come. I'm not. Um, So (laughs) I had these five properties. I promised this guy I've got it ready to go. No investor. So the shit hits the fan. I am looking under rocks to find investors. I am scrambling. I am hustling and doing everything I can to try and get an investor in place. God was looking down on me that week. And I found an investor. He said, I like what you've got to offer. I'll take all five of these properties. This is a cash buy. Fab. Let's go. Got it into conveyancing. Um, Two or three weeks in, still wasn't progressing much further. Now, it's important to note that the estate agent never questioned me at any stage for proof of funds because he trusted me, because he he just, this was an off-market deal. It was going through. I, as a novice property investor, did not know how to qualify my investor. And I took him at face value. He told me he was buying all five houses cash. And the long and short of it is, is about five or six weeks into the deal. It never should have got that far through conveyancing. Um, but I was saying a lot of prayers every night. Five or six weeks into the deal, it turns out that my investor hadn't a pot to piss in and was stringing both me and the estate agent along for what felt like an eternity. The fallout from that, Natasha, was huge. And it was my first challenge in property. A, because I realized how cutthroat it was. B, because I realized how um, there were sharks everywhere. I just took this guy at face value. And you know, I, I didn't know the onboarding process. I didn't know the qualifying questions. I trusted too much. But the real fallout from that was my reputation so for the guys listening I'm based in Belfast and you know Belfast is a pretty small place when you're doing what I do Um, my reputation I was only doing this eight weeks my reputation was mud with that one estate agent who to this day won't take my calls so that you know I've since gone on to to build a a great name for myself in the city in terms of investment. And, you know, I've worked with several estate agents and I'm well thought of in the city in terms of what it is that I do. But this one guy won't take my calls, won't return my messages. And that's three and a half years later. Now that was a massive challenge for me because I literally was coming into the game with no credibility. And then literally overnight, my name was mud. And that was hard. 
that was hard. So maybe not the typical challenge you might have been expecting to hear for the first one, but um, it's one that I think the message here, the message for the guys listening is credibility is everything. Credibility is everything. Your name precedes you in everything that you do. How you conduct yourself precedes you in everything that you do. And I got off to a really fucking shitty start. <laughs> and so um, I guess for anybody listening who's maybe at the start of their property investment journey, you know, take heed that these things happen. But if you can safeguard against them, please do. Um, because it takes a long time to try and crawl back from losing credibility. Mm-hmm. So that's challenge number one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Cool. That's a, that's a really good starting point. That's about due diligence and looking into Oh, yeah. I, yeah. But here's the thing. I didn't come from a property education background. Uh, Natasha, you know, I was a financial analyst for the New York Stock Exchange. And so, yes, I had my wits about me. But um, in terms of what property due diligence... Do, I can't even say the word. So there you go. <laughs> due diligence. Due diligence. I didn't stand a chance. I can't even say the word, right? So <laughs> you never, never stand a chance ever. Um, but yes, it is all about uh, due diligence. But it's, I was eager and I was keen. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, ballsy and sparky and I wanted to be out. And, you know, I was really riding the wave of the energy. But the nuts and bolts just weren't there. The nuts and bolts weren't there. And, and essentially, because the nuts and bolts weren't there, it all fell apart. And, you know, despite the fact that I now host a networking event in Belfast, despite the fact that I invest now heavily in Belfast, despite the fact that I am well known amongst the property circles now in Belfast, and everything else that I have built outside of that, this guy still won't speak to me. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, you let me down. Because obviously he let his client down as well. Yeah. And he... He was a real old school um, agent. He was, his name is Morris and he's, you know, maybe early seventies. And what I, do you know what hurts me the most there, Natasha, is that he had a portfolio of over 500 properties that I had at my fingertips. Yeah. Um, And it hurts. It hurts because they're all my ideal properties. (laughs) So it is what it is. It is what it is. Challenge number one. Okay. Challenge number two. Challenge number two came slightly further down the road. So again, important to highlight, I've only been in property three and a half years. So there's probably a mountain. I don't say probably, I'd say with great certainty. There there are a mountain of problems and challenges that are going to present themselves to me. There's no doubt about it in the years that follow. But challenge number two came when I decided to invest remotely it was a fucking stupid thing to do because I was just getting on my feet starting to invest in the city of Belfast okay I was just building up my buy to let portfolio that's really where by the way I know that you don't think buy to let sexy but it's steady and Mm -hmm. that's what I was attracted to okay Mm -hmm. so I'm but I'm branching out now but I'm still very attracted to buy to let so I was just getting on my feet with buy to lets in Belfast uh, when an opportunity came up in my hometown of Derry, which is uh, 75 miles outside of Belfast, almost almost two hours drive time. My parents live there. My family live there. And I thought, how hard can it be? <laughs> how hard can this be? Like my dad can sort it out. The challenges arose almost immediately, Natasha. Okay, so 
I put my dad as PM on this project. It was a bit of an ego trip for him, really, in hindsight, right? <clears throat> it was a total ego trip for him. Um, but I thought, okay, I'll put dad in charge and, you know, dad will convey back and forth to me. The problem started immediately. So first and foremost, and this is going to come back to due diligence, I was tipped off by my father about this property in this area. Now, you guys will be familiar, you will also be familiar, Natasha, with the Bronx to Manhattan mm-hmm. analogy, right? So I don't invest in Manhattan at, current, at present. However, however, I am on the cusp of getting something in Manhattan very, very soon, right? I don't invest in Manhattan and I don't invest in the Bronx. I'm somewhere outside, okay, in a nice, good, investable area. What I didn't know that the property that I had agreed was actually in the Bronx, in this area of my hometown. I took my father's word, who doesn't know a thing about property. He doesn't know a thing about property. But I took his word on the, it'll rent all day long. It'll rent all day long. Anyway, it turns out it didn't. It, it took about, I think it took about 10 weeks to get it let out, which in my in my mind, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. My buy-to-lets here in Belfast rent like like that. Um, long story short there. However, the contractor that we brought in, um, I had never met him before. I had never had a conversation with him before. He came on a recommendation from my father, of course. Okay. The quote that was given for the works was given verbally. And because he was a family friend, I was like, okay, you know, that seems reasonable. The, the mistakes, Natasha, here's another thing the communication lines were absolutely insane because I was having a conversation with my dad who was conveying the message from the contractor the contractor was calling me telling me about a conversation he was having with my dad and look here's what I what what I would say it was terrible I would say first and foremost you should never work with family okay I don't know if you've ever worked with your family I don't know if you have ever employed family or have done dealings with them I will never do that again from the offset, we were hemorrhaging money. We were hemorrhaging money. It was cost after cost. It was mistake after mistake. There was missed communication. There was no communication. During the refurbs works, which he told us would take around three to four weeks, he went for a two-week holiday. A two-week holiday. Mm. Now, I didn't know about this, but my dad did. But my dad didn't think to communicate this with me. Wow. He didn't. But here, But here's the thing. That's my fault because my father didn't understand. Well, like there's a huge lag here. You know, when he's away in two weeks, I'm losing money with these holding costs. I'm losing money with the rent. I need to know what's going on. But my father's not from a property background. And he wasn't wasn't getting that. He wasn't understanding that. Um, There was mistake after mistake. He quoted verbally that the kitchen and so no, sorry, he quoted me for the bathroom that it would be around 1200 pounds which was pretty standard okay like 1200 pounds was in a buy to let well that was fine um the final bill for the bathroom came in just shy of four thousand pounds now natasha when i tell you that the bathroom in the house was like this it's like it's like from arm to arm was a small fucking bathroom i could not understand where this four thousand pounds was coming from it was the exact same issue with the kitchen he ordered a bath. He did all the measurements. The bath arrived. The bath was too short for the for the for the bathroom. It had to go back. It was just an absolute nightmare from start to finish. So 
what cost us thousands and then we had the additional um problem with renting the property out mm-hmm. it wasn't a poor area and um, it wasn't an area that would be d- defined as the bronx um it was a real pain in the ass now my problem there again comes back to due diligence i sh- but i got ahead of myself i became cocky i believe that well if i can do it here i can do it there like that's my hometown and my dad's in charge and like, my dad's got all this stuff covered so Lesson that I learned from that, if investing remotely, do your due diligence on the team that you're going to put in place. Don't take word of mouth. I didn't ask for referrals. I didn't ask for past work. I didn't ask for anything like that. There were no contracts signed. This is all schoolgirl errors, schoolgirl errors. Um, If you're investing remotely, there should be a main channel of communication that the project manager, the contractor, and the investor should all communicate via. Yeah. Everything that was done via, for that investment was done via word of mouth. And I was I was an afterthought. You know, so between my father and the... And look, my dad didn't mean any harm by it. It was just... He, he thought he was doing the right thing. But I was the investor and I was, I was an afterthought. There were decisions being made about my property that I wasn't finding out until the bill came in. And then I'm thinking, well, where did this come from? And, and, and why do we do this? And why is it taking so long? And sorry, you're taking two weeks now and you're telling me now in the middle of your two weeks. It was a really, really hard, hard lesson. But again, brings it back to due diligence. Absolutely. And communication being key. Communication is absolutely vital. So that was challenge number two. Okay, and I agree about the communication. So number three, let's go. Okay. Challenge number three. More recent, more recent. And we could not have safeguarded against this, okay? So I had five HMOs. And those five HMOs, I was branching out. I got my HMOs, you know, like, yeah, this is really great. Cash flows fab, love and life. And covid arrived on our doorsteps. Uh, we were slapped up the face with a global pandemic. Um, I remember it vividly when things just went to shit on the 23rd of March, 2020, exactly a week later. So my um, HMOs housed foreign um, teaching students who from Italy, France, and Spain, who taught their languages in the local grammar schools here, right? So I was kind of became like the go-to person because I had a contact in the grammar schools. Yep. So if you needed if you needed rooms for a year, if you were teaching, that we could sort it out. So I had five HMOs. Three of them were filled with these foreign teaching students. Exactly a week later, they evaporated overnight. Okay, so that was 15 rooms, three houses in total, emptied overnight. Cash flow stopped. Absolute fucking pain in the ass. And I couldn't... Because COVID had come in, Natasha, I couldn't um, arrange viewings to have other people come. Yeah, couldn't do it. And then you had the problem that if you had one room, one tenant still in the property, and I had four free rooms, I couldn't bring anybody in to view the property because the tenant had the right to say, I'm sorry, um, you can't bring anybody in here. I know this is your house, by the way, but you can't bring anybody in here, you know, because it's breaching COVID rules. So those rooms were empty and we were out of pocket for around 11 to 12 weeks, which look on the broad spectrum of it, 
um, because we know COVID is still a thing. Um, but 12 weeks with 15 empty rooms is going to hit you hard in the pocket. Yeah. Um, and, and it did. Now, thankfully speaking, the workaround with that was very much that, if you'll remember, and you won't have had it because you were in the States, but um, my HMOs are right beside two of the major hospitals in Belfast. Mm-hmm. So we've got the City Hospital, we've got the Royal Victoria Hospital. And we were then a- able to open the three empty HMOs to nursing and medical staff, key okay. workers. So that really, really helped us. Um, but for about three months, it was very, yeah, it was stressful. It was absolutely stressful. Um, I also had serviced accommodation at that same time, cash flowing high. Um, they were in an excellent area of Belfast. They were beside the Harlot and Wolf Cranes, which is the t- where the Titanic was built. Um, they were beside a lot of the peace murals in Northern Ireland, which attracts tourists by their thousands upon thousands every year. And we had the Game of Thrones exhibition center right beside our properties. Um, really high cash flowing, stopped overnight. 23rd of March, boom, you're done. So we went from um, earning three, four, five on a good month, thousand pounds on the, the service accommodation properties to switching them into buy to lets and 450, 450 a month. Now, what I would say is, you know, you don't look a gift horse in the mouth because it, did it hurt? to take that drop in cash flow every month. Yes, it absolutely did. But I'm also very thankful that for that property, we had an exit and we could, you know, we could switch that round and say, well, look, we can't do the essay on it right now, but let's, let's go back to buy to let and at least cover our mortgage and expenses. Okay. Uh, the HMO, it was painful. The HMO was definitely painful. So yeah, that was challenge number three. I wouldn't say that boils down to due diligence. I would say the lesson there for challenge number three is exit plans. Yes. Yeah, exit plans. And I think we will forever moving forward, COVID proof everything, right? Because we've got the Indian strain, we've got the South African strain. You know, we never really know when this can be, when can we move on? We don't know. And one of the, one of the things, actually I have a, I have a mini challenge at the moment in terms of making a decision. I have the opportunity to purchase a commercial property and convert it into SA apartments and sell them on as an SA business. But in my head, something's saying to me, it's not a good idea because this, this work will take maybe nine to 12 months to build out. And we don't know where we're going to be in nine to 12 months mm-hmm. in terms of, in terms of COVID, in terms of um, will an SA business be an attractive purchase? Maybe not. Um, so that's something that I'm considering at the moment. And, and it's more, it's not a challenge. It's more of a quandary. Do I do it? How, do I not? How many would there be? So how there will be six, there will be six apartments in total. Have you considered mm-hmm. going to a hotel chain who specializes in apartments? So even Marriott do it and going to their estates office and saying, Hey, I'm writing this down. I love it. (laughs) Um, Do you want to rent this building off of me? Because they don't. I love it. They don't buy. They don't particularly buy assets, but they'll come in and fit out. And it may be that you have to buy it and give them twelve months rent free, or what have you. But long term, if you've got those people in as a covenant, you can. And you want to sell it on? Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, Natasha. Now, I just want to say, I bring you back to uh, the, one of the very first statement I said on this on this podcast. Your company is the currency that nobody talks about, right? And it is for that very reason that we've just literally 30 seconds and, and you've just given me 10 seconds of gold dust. Yeah. 10 seconds of gold dust. Guys, I, I, I bang on about this all the time. Your network is absolutely your network, your network. And it's so cliche. But let that conversation between, between Natasha and I be a testament to the fact that if you're not surrounding yourself with the right people, you are definitely going to have a brick wall. Natasha, thank you. I will approach. I will approach. Let me know if you need some contact details and I can see who's operating in uh, Belfast and we can send them on to you. Uh, Absolutely will. You know what? You totally know I will as well. Yes, I do. That's totally fine. I will do that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Right. You're going to ask me about challenge number four. So I don't have five challenges and that's the truth. Um, And I'm touching wood. Here, as we speak. You are I don't lucky. Have, I am, but keep in mind, this is three and a half years. So it's not been, yeah, I mean, I've hit speed bumps along the way. Um, you know, I have embarrassed myself on more than one occasion. <laughs> that's definitely, that's definitely been true. I have massively, um, I have massively underestimated refurbs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a challenge. Um, I massively, this was back in the day when I was sourcing. And that's not a good look as a sourcer when you undervalue what a refurb is and I told this one investor that it would be six and it came in at 12 um he was really chilled but it was not good like that didn't look good for me um trust me though once bitten twice shy mm-hmm. I am building contingency after contingency into my numbers um because you don't want it. you just look reputation is everything in this not even this industry but reputation is everything period in business mm-hmm. it just is so, you know, yes, I've had many challenges, but when you asked me to talk about the challenges that, that maybe stuck out, it was definitely that first one of um, embarrassing myself with credibility and not having an investor to find, to source the deals onto, lost credibility. Uh, then the investing remotely, which I've never done again since, ever. Um, that investing remotely, and I know you do, but you probably are, well, no, you absolutely do have a more robust system in place than I do for it. Um, I've just become comfortable with what I know. Um, and instead of, of now branching out to other areas, I am branching on to bigger deals. And that was always the end goal for me. You know, buy to let's, got the HMOs, you know, now it's commercial to residential or and I'm going to see a land development on... Um, Monday, which is great. So the challenges, as the projects get bigger, as the opportunities get bigger, the challenges there too also become bigger. Um, But yeah, when we spoke about the challenges and you asked me to to come up with some, those were the main challenges that in my journey have come up. Now, as of today, I did, my phone's dead, I would read the letter out to you, but um, I got a legal letter in today. It came via the estate agent of of my flip project. So it's sale agreed, it's going through a conveyance and we got 18 grand over asking price, which is fab. It's going to a first time buyer. Um, but the guy next door thought that it wouldn't be prudent to contact me directly. He knows who I am. We've met when I've been up at the property. He thought that he would go hardcore and send a, a legal letter from his solicitor today to me stating that um, the wall, the fence that we have erected 
between the houses is um, I think the term that he used, ruining his enjoyment and pleasure of his property. <laughs> right. So it, he will, he's given it seven days to be rectified um, or he will seek legal proceedings. It will be sorted tomorrow. But these are the types of things. Danielle, three and a half years ago, would have had a panic attack at this. Mm-hmm. I would have been like, holy shit, I am getting sued. Somebody call somebody, you know, have a drink, Danielle, take something chill. Um, but today I'm just like, oh, whatever. You know, it'll be sorted. The handyman will go there tomorrow. We'll get it sorted out. So there, there you go. That's my challenges to date. See, that's really interesting. I was thinking about this. Yeah. Because... I I think it depends upon your personality type as well to what your challenges are. So for you, it was kind of like getting started out and the things that were missed, but you continued persevering on, you know, not to do that again. And I thought when I asked you these questions, I was like, hmm, what would have my biggest challenges been over the years? Yeah. Mine have just been some awful situations with people. Really? awful situations that I couldn't do anything about in in the time but I put myself in some very dangerous situations I should never have been in and that has made me really think about how I do business and who I do Mm -hmm. business with and I had to learn very quickly to read between the lines of what people were saying and know when I was Mm. safe and when I wasn't safe yeah yeah, but th- that's that's actually very interesting. You're hundred percent right. So mine's were actually more mechanical. Yeah, mine's were, but yours were more emotional. Really emotional. And but there you go. But that, that's so odd because I actually think that we probably got a similar personality. We're quite upbeat. We're quite yeah. outgoing. You know, we do have a similar personality trait. Um, but you're right. Like, mine's are definitely not some bolts mechanics, but yours are emotional and maybe. Uh, you, you are somebody, Natasha, this is my my take of you, and we've been speaking for a, about a year now, not, not too shy of a year. My take is that you are somebody who wants to really try and help at yeah. all costs yeah. or in any way that yeah. you can, but sometimes that can be to your detriment. Yep. So, you, unfortunately, it's sad to say, but there are sharks out there. There are also people who will hold you to every word, literally. Um no matter how well intended your message was, um, there are people who will hold, you, you, you say the wrong word in the wrong tone at the wrong time, you're screwed. Yeah, you're screwed. Or, or being unsure of yourself. That was, when I was a very young surveyor, that was what used to get me into the most trouble. If I didn't say something confidently or I didn't take time to think and I said something ridiculous, that mm. is where I've always got into the most trouble. So I yeah. started really trying to um, Assert. think about that. <laughs> yeah, but also, but also I want to touch on something. And this may be a popular, unpopular opinion, but I don't care. Um, a female in this industry um, almost needs to stand a little bit taller. Mm-hmm. Um, and with her head a little bit higher and her, her chest puffed out a little bit more because um, unfortunately we are in an industry where I don't know if it's so much male dominated I think as females we are we are coming into our own right we've got some very strong female front runners in the property industry and I would class you and I as both of them right but in, in different spheres and in different industries but I'm proud to say that mm-hmm. um, 
but that doesn't happen overnight and you have to be confidence comes when you know what you're talking about yeah so I could never stand at the front of a room and pretend that I knew anything about um specialisms in commercial property or surveying I mean I'm just I'm not that person but I I will stand at the front of a room confidently in a male environment and talk all day long about property sourcing or buy to lets or you know whatever it might be um but I think that you have to be prepared to talk over the noise you know for that self-assured confidence but that's a really interesting Mm -hmm. it's a really interesting juxtaposition in terms of yeah because I do think we're so similar yeah I think Okay, so I, I talked to you about two of the situations very quickly. The first one was my 23rd birthday and a tenant tried to punch me. What? Yes, <laughs> I should not have been in that situation. No, I haven't. <laughs> oh, awkward. Awkward. Um, and so that is lesson learned to never go out on your own to a wow. weird property. Did you dock it? Yeah, she didn't, she didn't manage to. <laughs> that situation was bizarre anyway, because she was being wound up by one of the businesses who were close by. Right. And she thought that I wasn't doing anything about it. And because, yeah. because the noise from this business was meaning she's not sleeping, she's just very... Irate. Irate with everything. And I had gone into her flat on my own to try and smooth things one morning I think before work and she's not slept the night before and then oh yeah person that she's seen so yeah yeah second time a commercial tenant tried to strangle me for collecting rent what oh my god you win (laughs) (laughs) and so those that's what stuck in my mind because then that's always been so a lot of people do think, oh, Natasha's quite naive because she's happy and she always comes across nice and she listens to everybody. But I do listen to people and I do give people the benefit of the doubt first. I'm very like kind and mm-hmm. to people because I, you have to, to, to make sure that you understand where they're coming from. Yeah. So it's my way of giving myself time now to say, yeah. okay, well, we'll be friendly yeah and I'll be until we're not (laughs) no no, you and I but you know you listen to someone I always give people the benefit of the doubt before I write them off and because I'm being polite I can then ask some questions and try and read between the lines and that's a massive learning curve that that's so funny though um so that that would have been the approach that that I would get from you um you you, that you're quite open-minded that you are you know, show me who you are first before I show you what I think. That, that's 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 who I think you are, and yeah. and I think that's that's great because as, as it turns out, uh, you like me, so it's fine. <laughs> so it's totally fine. If you hadn't have liked me, I'd have been like, she's a bitch, she's a real bitch. Um, <laughs> but while I think our personalities are quite similar, we are definitely different in that. I fly off the handle very quickly. Um, I, my, my, my buttons can be pushed. They're not pushed very often, but they can be pushed to the point where I will, I will go to, I will go in before I take a step back and say, okay, so what was the full extent of the circumstances? And often, you know, that, that's, I have a fiery, I have a fiery attitude or temper from time to time. And, and, you know, in business that doesn't always bode well. Um, 
because you can often misjudge um, or misrepresent, which is very important. You know, misrepresenting someone or yourself can can be really fatal in the, in the wrong circumstances. But I'm really glad you brought that up because, again, while I believe that our personalities are so similar and, and the things that we want and what we're trying to do in terms of our own businesses, and you are ahead of me in that, um, our personalities are similar, but the challenges are definitely very different. Very different. Very different. Very. Okay, so let's move on to the second part of this because I think we should we should talk about it. Okay. Crystal balls out. Crystal balls. Okay. Um, Got so big what, balls here. <laughs> what do we think is going to happen post COVID? Where do you think the opportunities are going to be going forward? I think I'm seeing it already. Um, in in terms of the commercial world. Um, there, there is not funny. I was actually I got my second COVID jab today, and I was driving through Belfast city centre, and it was office block after office block after office block, premium rental office for sale, office space for use, office building for sale. You know, to me, it's clear as day that's where it is now. You and I again, we've touched on this point that I am in the process of trying to secure a commercial building that we are thinking about putting into SA. Now, you've given me a very different take on it with your with your input of the hotel, which is fantastic. Um, but prior to you giving me that information, we were going to convert it into an SA business because, right, the boom's in SA right now, right? Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. But that's where so many people are falling short, Natasha, because they're looking at the short term and they're saying, well, SA is on fire right now. You might get six to 12 months out of it. Um, but I'm holding back because I've learned that exit plans are really, really fucking important. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking in 12 months time, we could be in wave number 64 and we could be in lockdown, you know, 109 version six. You know, maybe the SA business isn't a great idea to buy and sell. I mean, we're talking the guts of a, a million pounds investment here. So I don't want to uh, jump the gun. So where are the opportunities? I believe they're strongly in commercial. Um, I'm also, I'm also starting to see the tide turn slightly with estate agents and residential properties, mm-hmm. ever so slightly. So, just yesterday, I had one of my estate agent friends text me and say, "I actually shared it on my socials." Danielle, please come and buy this. This is his words. Danielle, please come and buy this big bollocks of a house off me. We had agreed a price at 2.30. The buyer has walked. I believe you can get this at substantial discount now. Now, in a, in a, even two weeks ago, three weeks ago, that those text messages wouldn't have come through. That would have been straight back on the market and somebody else would have come in and paid more or um, on or more what it was already agreed at. Okay, I've also had another guy sent me through six buy-to-let properties in my investment patch that are not on the market yet. He's an agent. Now, do they need some work? Yes, they do. But two weeks ago, they would have been going online. They would have been going online and flying offline. So I'm starting to see a little bit of a turn. I think the um, opportunities are in assisted sales and commercial properties. That's my opinion and for now if you have SA ride the wave ride the wave while you can but bet your ass you better have an exit plan in place for when the shit hits the fan so for me we rode SA hard and then we switched to buy to let um and we're still on buy to let I haven't actually gone back to SA since then 
Yeah, that was the same for me during the pandemic. My essays went to buy to let because the tenants are still in there. I'm not going to exactly. You can't kick them out. You might get strangled. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah. So yeah. That. So that that's my thoughts again. It's not. It's crystal ball. I think assisted sales are going to be big uh, in the next maybe six to twelve months. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that I believe that is because lending is becoming. I don't know what it's like with you or if you've been trying to get lending of late, but it is increasingly difficult to get. Um, you're jumping through hoop after hoop after hoop after hoop. So if you can come in, if, if flips is your thing, um, and if you want to you know, generate hefty chunks of cash, you know, maybe three, four times throughout the year, assisted sales has a huge opportunity for that, huge opportunity. And, and again, the, the company that you keep will be the currency that will deliver that. So getting in with the right estate agents, um, networking and telling the right people. My painter and decorator, who we've got in at the moment in our own house, um, has tipped me off on several properties in the last two days. Mm-hmm. So company is the currency that nobody talks about. Yep, yep. I, with mortgage lending at the moment, residential mortgage lending, you're only going to find it easy to get a mortgage on the second day of the month, I think. That's the only thing that I can narrow it down to at the moment. And here is the reason why. right. Theory. Okay. Theory, though, I'm not a broker. Okay. If you apply for a mortgage on the second day of the month, when they've just changed their lending criteria above the board, uh, across the board, because what we're seeing every month, lenders are changing their risk appetite depending on what they yeah, lend yeah. on the month before. So if you are first in the door when they've got their new lending criteria out, it's going to be easier to get lending from them. Whereas when you're at the back end of the month and they no longer want more risk or less risk, you, you ah. won't find anything. Mm-hmm. That, that's a pretty good theory. However, it does work conversely as well because if you go in for the mortgage on the on the second day of the month and they have they have downsized their appetite for risk, you might find yourself being more susceptible to a decline. Would you not? No, if they have. They- the mortgage lenders change. So if one mortgage lender has been risky one month, the next month they tend to de-risk and it kind of goes Oh, like okay, 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 um, okay. That's residential. Commercial is just commercial is high interest rates at the moment you're not going to find anything 12 months ago we were getting interest rates at about 4.5 percent now you'd be lucky to get 5.5 percent really percent loan to value on 70 percent loan to value yeah wow uh, it's okay. very rare you find a 75 percent um loan to value but again that will probably change over the coming months it's just what we're seeing right now mortgage lending changes on a monthly basis it's almost like mortgage lending has a menstrual cycle (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's a pretty good way to put it actually can be a real bitch sometimes it can be yeah don't it on the 15th of the month i love it i absolutely love it although that's really useful information i am um, in terms of well residential maybe maybe not so much um but the buy to lets you know commercial lending is like pulling teeth if you're buying them in bulk mm-hmm. commercial lending with this project that we have coming up um it's good to know what you've just quoted five yeah. percent and that will come minimum. in that, that will change over the next, I think that will change over the next six months. But for now, that's what we're seeing. So just budget for it. Absolutely. Fab, this has been great. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.
everybody who's listening, I really need you to rate and review this podcast because it helps with other people trying to find the podcast. I also want you to come over and follow at Honest Property Investment to let me know if you've liked this and what you want to see more of and ask any questions so that I can answer it in a couple of weeks time on my mailbag episode. Thank you so much for listening. I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon.